It's time to dig in and discuss the questions on the minds of today's leaders. You are listening to The Kathleen Reeson Show, pushing the boundaries of leadership. This is where we get vulnerable, raw, and authentic about the stuff that really matters. Now, here is your host, Kathleen Reeson. Welcome to The Kathleen Reeson Show, pushing the boundaries of leadership here on Inspired Choices Network. And today we're talking about curiosity in the workplace. So curiosity in the workplace, that is a very curious topic. See what I did there? (laughs) So the reason that I picked curiosity in the workplace is because the opposite of curiosity is judgment. And I don't know about you, but I think there's enough judgment in the world (laughs) that we don't need to have it in the workplace too. And so curiosity in the workplace can work a lot of different ways. And the way that we're talking about it now is how do we grow at our curiosity? So as I thought about my life, my career, what I've created, what is the one skill that has really set me up for success? Now, when I say that, just to give you an idea of some of the skill sets that I've developed, and I think you've you've got your own skill sets. We all have our own skill sets that we've developed, whether we know it or not. But I'm just going to highlight a few of mine so that you can understand why I would pick the one that I'm picking. So as far as skill sets go, I have my certified public accountant's license. Actually, it's not live right now. I have an inactive version of it because I don't practice. I don't actively practice. So I have my CPA. That is a skill set. I have an extensive background in advertising. I have an extensive background as an entrepreneur. So I've run eight different businesses. I have an extensive background in emotional intelligence, and I am a professional speaker. So I could go on and on with different types of skill sets. Now, my guess is you can too, because over your career, you have picked up a variety of different skill sets. That doesn't even include my personal skill sets, like I'm a mother. I also have coached, I just have coached the chess club. I've coached uh, mock trial. So I've got all these different skill sets in my professional life as well that sometimes coincide with the things in my personal life or vice versa. But the one skill set above all, and it's not one that I've even mentioned up until now, but it's what set me up for success in all of those areas that I mentioned. And it's curiosity. It's truly what it is. So in my early part of my career, right when I got out of college, I had the opportunity to work at KPMG, which is a public accounting firm. And at the time, so this was, I'm dating myself now. This was just a few years ago. I'm kidding. It was like back in the early 2000s. And the way that we we just launched Sarbanes-Oxley, to most of you, that means nothing. In the accounting world, that was a really big deal. It was one of the first pieces of legislation at, and rulings brought down after Enron. And that was just a huge calamity, let's say. And so there were lots of different guidelines that we had to follow. And so here I am getting out of college and I go into a world of Sarbanes-Oxley. I didn't know any better. So people that had been in public accounting realized that there was a big change. But for me and for the people that graduated about the same time as me, we didn't know anything changed. So here's what my job was. We would go into these public companies and the accountant, the the team, the accounting team would have prepared all of these processes. So they went through all of the big processes that had anything to do with money. They documented the process. So they had to say, this is how the process works. And my job was to go in and test it and to be able to issue an opinion as to whether I thought that the process was solid or not. If the process wasn't solid, it it meant risk for the company. 
And so overall, we would look at all these processes and then based on the findings of these processes, then we would issue an opinion on whether we thought the company was solid or not. Because people that were investors, they wanted to know if a company was solid. And so this was a way to see whether a company was solid. So I would get these processes and I would look through them and they would say, this person oversees this process and here's the different steps that are supposed to be followed. And if they had any supporting documentation, they would include it. And then my job was to go test it. So I would walk around with my papers and I would walk up to somebody at the company and I would say, this is what it says you do. Do you do that? They'd be like, yeah, this is what I do. Or maybe they had their own iteration of it. And so I would note, made their own system, not following this one. Or if there was a change to it, we would actually edit the change. And one day, now when we're out in the field, like, my t- I was just working on my own for a long time, but my my boss would somehow would sometimes pop out, and that was it. I, I here I am auditing these Fortune 500 companies, and I had all this permission to just be curious. So one day my boss comes out, and she says, "Hey Kathleen, could you go figure out about this process?" And she wanted to know the answer to a question that she had. Now, I thought for sure she had the answer and she was just testing me. So I kept saying, well, I don't understand. Why why do you want me to go get this? And she kept saying, because I want you to go figure this out. And again, I thought she was setting me up and I didn't understand. Why would she set me up? And then I realized she didn't have the answer. The answer was out in the company. She didn't have it. She was just curious. She, it wasn't that she was testing me. It was that she was saying, Kathleen, could you go get it for me? So I went out and got the answer. I don't remember what the question was. I just know that there was a question. So I went out and got the answer and I came back. But it was a big aha moment for me in that I was getting paid to be curious. Now, I was only in public accounting for a couple of years. And then I moved into advertising because I wanted to run a business. And I had a background in advertising. And that seemed like a pretty straightforward business. And so that's what my, I worked in advertising for a little while. And then I launched my first business in advertising. Now, the thing about advertising is that our goal is to grow someone's business, to get to know enough about that business that we would know the kind of growth areas that could be created and how we could support them in growing. Now, tell me fundamentally, I get the mechanisms of accounting and advertising are different. But, and here's the really cool thing, when you're curious, it applies in both of those places. Because guess what? In accounting, we're super curious so that we can apply that to the principles of accounting to make sure that what we're doing is accurate. But in advertising, we're super curious so that we can apply it to the principles of growth within a company. But ultimately, if you back all the way up, it really starts with curiosity. And in everything that I've done now as an entrepreneur and as a business coach, my job is to be curious. I apply it to how I support my clients. But I believe that fundamentally, I get paid to be curious. That's pretty cool. And so fundamentally, I believe that this is one of the most important skill sets that we can have is curiosity. And so what really is curiosity? Curiosity means that I have what we call in our, I I run a martial arts, I I don't run the studio, let's be clear. I own a martial arts studio, but I've got very skilled, talented people that run that, which is a a huge benefit because I'm not a martial artist and you don't want to take a class from me. (laughs) But I have very skilled people that run that. At the end of the day, 
we say have a white belt mentality because in martial arts, you always start with the white belt. Your goal is to get skilled enough that you could earn your black belt, but you start with a white belt. That's what a newbie, a new beginner, that's what a newbie is called, a white belt. And so we say in the world of creativity, always go in with a white belt mentality. So just pretend that you don't know because you know in reality, most of us don't know. And so when we go in with a white belt mentality, when we approach situations with a white belt mentality, when we say, I, I really don't know, let's, let's pretend I know none of this. Because the reality is we don't know a lot about a lot. So if we just enter every situation with a white belt mentality, well, wonder what we could learn. I think it would be a phenomenal amount of information. And that's what's really set me up for success. And I believe that when you use this trait, when you start with the white belt mentality, you can learn so much. And when you learn so much, when people are open to sharing, if the world is your oyster, you can create whatever you want. But at the core, we start with curiosity. I think that's actually the hardest piece that we're addressing right now with curiosity. Because I've been doing a lot of digging into the brain. I'm working on my second book that'll be out here probably the next month. <coughs> Excuse me. And in this book, I talk about the brain science, which is just fascinating area to me. My dad's a neuroscientist. I grew up with conversations about the brain. Now, I didn't appreciate them at the time. No, I certainly didn't appreciate them at the time because my dad, what he would share so much information on the brain and share it in a way that was just over my head. He would talk about the amygdala and the hippocampus and the hypothalamus and all these different parts of the brain. And here I am a little child that's saying, I don't really understand any of this. And he even had a sheep brain and a rat brain that he would carry around, not, not all the time, but he would go do these presentations at schools or these, he was a, did a lot of lecturing, he was a professor. And so he would have these sheep brain and this rat brain that he'd gotten in his lab he had them in this resin, almost glass-looking container. There were two of them. And so what he would say, he'd walk around and he'd say, no one can ever accuse me of not having a brain. And then he'd pull one of the brains out of his pocket. Now, at first, this was really funny. But as I got to be a teenager, I just rolled my eyes and thought, oh, my gosh, I hope he doesn't do this in front of my friends. But now that I'm older and I can appreciate the science of the brain and how that is such a magnificent organ that we have, I'm fascinated by what we can learn from it. And so as I've studied emotional intelligence and how that applies into how we operate with others, with ourselves, I've learned a ton. And at my core, in this new book that I'm writing, we talk about what is emotional intelligence and why does it matter? I think curiosity is at the, the core of this. But let's start with understanding what it is, because we're talking about curiosity. Let's get curious. I'm going to teach you something here and you may already know it. You may not. And so my, my ask of you is to be curious. So here's what I know about emotional intelligence and how it works. This is only because I dug in and I got to see it differently. So this is how I found this out. So our five senses, you know what our five senses are? So if a white belt, white belt mentality, you would say, hmm, well, tell me more about that. Because you might say, hmm, maybe, maybe I get to revisit this. I haven't talked about the five senses for years. So the five senses are probably exactly what you think they might be. They are our eyes, our nose, our sense of smell, our mouth, our sense of taste, our ears, our sense of listening, hearing, 
and our touch, our sense of touch. So five senses, as you might know them. Well, our five senses, those are all, they pick up all of our indicators in the world. So say you put your hand near a hot surface, your hand picks up that heat and you have a sensation that is then sent through your amygdala, which is the bottom portion of your brain. So the census travels up your arm through the spinal cord to the amygdala of your brain, the main center. Now your brain is really broken into two main areas. And I'm, I know I'm simplifying the brain here, but it's broken into two main areas, your frontal lobe and your limbic system. Okay, your frontal lobe and your limbic system. Now how I'm gonna refer to these is your frontal lobe is your upper brain and your, your limbic system is your lower brain. Well, your emotional epicenter, what controls your emotions is in the limbic system, the lower section, the downstairs brain. Okay, so your downstairs brain and your upstairs brain, when you're born, they're not connected, which is why you have to learn to breathe, learn to eat, learn to suckle, all that stuff you've got to learn right away so that you can live. So your upstairs brain doesn't really know how to handle this. That's your logic, your reasoning. But you got to figure out in order to breathe, my lungs have to open and close. So I've got to send signals to my lungs to open and close. So these are the things our brains are figuring out. Now I have a teenager. He's still firing up. How do I connect my downstairs brain and my upstairs brain? Because in our, when our senses send, send these, these signals into our amygdala, our amygdala says, okay, I got this, I got this piece of information. What do I do with it? And then it, it remembers because our hippocampus stores memories. Our hippocampus says, oh, hot oven, pull your hand away, sends a message to our hypothalamus, which says, pull your hand back. And that's how it works. Now, sometimes our senses can get overwhelmed. And then we go, that's why we got to have that connection to our frontal lobe, to the upstairs brain to say, hey, calm down, calm down. But that takes a while to develop. So between zero and five years old, we're developing those connections, which is why toddlers have so many tantrums. And then when we're in adolescence, until like mid-20s, we get a little rehash and update to those connections. So your brain doesn't actually finalize those connections until mid-20s. How crazy is that? Your frontal lobe is not formed fully until your mid-20s. That's crazy. As a mom of a 13, 11, and nine-year-old, three boys, I think, whoo, we got at least 10 years for my oldest until his frontal cortex, his frontal lobe is, is, is firm, is finalized. Until then, we're firing all over the place. Now, the only reason I knew what I just shared with you is because I got curious. And I'm sure there's things that you know that I don't know. And so we can learn so much from each other when we're willing to be curious. Now, my question for you is when do you let yourself not be curious? What is it that shuts you down from curiosity? Think about that. We're going to go on a quick break. When we get back, we'll pick up from there. What shuts us down from curiosity? You're listening to The Kathleen Reeson Show here on Inspired Choices Network. Talk to you in just a second. Are you enjoying the conversations on The Kathleen Reeson Show? Kathleen speaks both in person and virtually at companies, conferences, and retreats all over the world. Learn about booking Kathleen Reeson for your next event at KathleenReeson.com. That's KathleenReeson.com.
Are you a subject matter expert? Are you here to share your expertise with an audience waiting to hear from you in only the way you can deliver? Are you ready to have your voice amplified across the airwaves? Inspired Choices Network has a global radio platform streaming to millions of people across the world. Professionally produced and supported by an accomplished team every step of the way, you can broadcast from anywhere in the world knowing your voice matters and we ensure it is delivered with ease and efficiency. Eager to hear your message, the world awaits. Contact us today to become an Inspired Choices Network radio host. Email become a host at inspiredchoicesnetwork.com. Welcome back to the Kathleen Reason Show, pushing the boundaries of leadership. To participate in the program, join our live studio audience in our chat room at inspiredchoicesnetwork.com. Now, back to the program. Welcome back to the Kathleen Reeson Show, pushing the boundaries of leadership here on Inspired Choices Network. I'm your host, Kathleen Reeson, and today we're talking all about curiosity in the workplace. And the question that I asked you right before break is what do you think shuts you down from curiosity? What do you think shuts you down from curiosity? So I can tell you for everybody, it's a little bit different, but there is a common, a common theme. And what that common theme is, we're going to go back to the brain science, is that when we draw these connections between the downstairs brain, that emotional epicenter, and the upstairs brain, which is that frontal lobe, the frontal lobe is the area of judgment. The frontal lobe is the area that is the biggest stop of curiosity. It's the rational, the logic. Now, here's the deal. We know people buy based on emotion. That is a proven fact but they justify it based on logic. So we buy based on our lower brain, justify it by on the front, frontal lobe, our upper brain. But what stops us in this space of curiosity is our frontal lobe saying, no, don't go there. We talked a few weeks ago about how the number one idea killer is judgment, not other people's judgment, but our own judgment. And it's the same thing with curiosity because curiosity actually lives in that emotional epicenter. Joy, curiosity, fun, it's all down there. But as adults, we spend most of our time in the frontal lobe. We spend in the upstairs brain. And so we tell ourselves, we already know that. It's not safe to dig in. Stay with what you know. Well, what happens? I work with a lot of advertising agencies. What happens when the curiosity in a company that is born for its creativity, when that ends? So in an advertising agency, when we stop being curious, what happens? We can't serve our clients. We can't come up with new ideas. That's a really dangerous place to be. And what it means is we're just hanging out in the frontal lobe. We're not willing to walk down. Let's say there's a ladder between the upstairs brain and the downstairs brain. We've got to be able to walk up and down that ladder. That is a high level of emotional intelligence, being willing to walk up and down that ladder. And you guys, this stuff's pretty cool. So here's a statistic that I found because I was being curious. I found that I don't, this emotional intelligence is not just fluff. It's actually this study done by Harvard and it said that for every point of emotional intelligence, so if you ranked your knowledge of emotional intelligence, for every point above that somebody gained in emotional intelligence, their salary actually went up $1,413. Can you believe that? I mean, that is not fluff, $1,413. That is, 
That is incredible. Where else can you get that kind of return? I also read this statistic. Again, I was reading, I was doing a lot of research being curious for this book that I'm writing. And I was looking at the return on emotional intelligence investment for a company. I said, well, gosh, what would that be? Let me see, I might have that right. Yes, it's right here. Let me pull it up. Okay, it says, this is according to Psychology Today. It says that EQ training, emotional intelligence, emotional quotient, it's all the same thing. EQ training can yield 1,484% return on investment. I mean, that is huge. I wish the stock market could return like that because I don't know any other investment that can return at that level. That is that is incredible. And then here's another one. We okay, Price Waterhouse Cooper, they're a competitor to KPMG, but Price Waterhouse Cooper, they're an accounting firm that's grown into all kinds of consulting areas. So they do this study of 15,000 customers. And I found this fascinating. So one in three customers will leave a brand they like for just one bad experience. Can you believe that? So if you have loyal customers right now, people you think are loyal, one in three, so 33% will leave after one bad experience. There's no grace there. They're leaving after 33% will leave after one bad experience. So you think about that, like, wow, there's no grace. But here's, here it gets even worse, 92 percent will completely abandon your company after two or three times. Two or three bad experiences, they are out of there. Now, this is fascinating information to me because once we know that, because we are curious, we let our brains go there, we just learn that, we can say, whoa, customer experience, I knew it was important, but holy buckets, this is really important. We've really got to focus on our customer experience. So while I thought it was something else I was going to put my time into for my company, it's actually the customer experience that's got to be the most important. So when we're curious, we can learn these things. It's all fascinating. But curiosity is the skill set that we really get to look at to set us apart. And we can develop curiosity by letting our minds wander, which is a scary place. And as adults, we don't often want to do that. Our frontal lobe is saying, don't wander. That's not safe. Remember, your brain is set up to keep you safe. Because that's the continuation of life. If you weren't safe and you were threatened, your brain might not exist. If you die, your brain dies. So your brain doesn't want that to happen. Your brain is set up for you to live. To be successful means to be healthy, alive. So anytime your frontal lobe is going to get some kind of, you going to remember the senses are picked up, sent through the amygdala. And so when they reach your frontal lobe, they want you to be safe. So your brain will do everything you can to keep you safe. Now, I'm giving a talk tomorrow on risk. Now, risk tolerance is absolutely controlled by the frontal lobe. If your brain is trying to keep you safe, what do you think your brain thinks about risk? A big fat thumbs down. Your brain doesn't like risk because risk is not safe. So somebody with a lower level of emotional intelligence will have a very low risk tolerance. Now, I don't say that I'm not being mean to anybody. I'm just saying that is a fact that if you have a lower level of emotional intelligence, you are linked to a lower risk tolerance because your brain is designed to keep you safe. But the way that you can raise your risk tolerance is that you learn how to climb up and down that ladder between your upstairs brain and your downstairs brain. So you can go down to your emotional epicenter and say, shh, it's okay. You can go up 
to your upstairs brain and you can play, make these riskier decisions and moves like running businesses or starting businesses or spending lots of money in investments, which might seem riskier. Remember, we buy based on emotion and we back it by logic. And so we had to walk down to our emotional center, emotional epicenter, up to the upstairs brain, down to the emotional epicenter, up to the upstairs brain. And so when we go through this process multiple times, we get better at it. That's what practice is. It's no different than if we want to learn how to throw a ball in baseball or softball. We learn how to get our arm up. We learn the proper positioning. We learn how to hold the ball. We learn how to throw the ball. And we just practice that over and over and over again. I have a nine-year-old that loves baseball. This is what we do. We practice throwing the ball because he's still learning that and catching the ball. That's a whole other skill. But our brain doesn't really register the difference between any of these things. To them, to our brain, it's just curiosity. It's just saying we got to go from the downstairs brain to the upstairs brain, downstairs, upstairs, downstairs, upstairs to practice. And that's what sets us up for success. It's all about being curious. This is so important. And it absolutely makes a difference in the workplace. And let me give you an example of that. So a few years ago, I had a client. This was while I was running my advertising agency. And this client was a bariatric surgeon. So I didn't know anything about bariatric surgery when we started. I was fascinated by bariatric surgery. That is, bariatric surgery is the uh, removal of part of the stomach. So there's an actual hormone that lives in a portion of your stomach that controls how much, basically your appetite, how much you want to eat. And if you remove that section of the stomach, it suppresses your appetite. So you're not hungry, which then leads to you not eating as much, your stomach shrinks, your calories in your body decrease, which decreases your size. So that's why bariatric surgery is successful. There have been lots of different iterations of what bariatric surgery could be, but gastric sleeve is the main one today that's used. So this bariatric surgeon, he's telling us all about this process, myself and my team, and he's just verbally explaining it. And we say, can we go check it out? And he goes, what, what do you mean, check it out? Like, you want me to get your video? I said, no. Can we, can we go watch? Can we watch a surgery? And he says, sure. Okay, well, I've never been in a surgery suite, not as the patient. So this will be interesting. So I'm thinking, kind of like Grey's Anatomy, if you've ever seen it, we're going to sit up high and there'll be a glass window and we'll watch through it. That is not the case. The hospital that we were at did not have any of those facilities. We actually stood in the operating room right behind the surgeon. So he's in this person's body and he's doing the surgery and he's explaining it. And there's a camera that with a, with a uh, TV up above him. So we can actually see in the TV what he's seeing when he looks down into this body. And he's showing us, this is the stomach, and here's the appendix, and here's, he showed us all the details of the body. And it was fascinating, gross, but fascinating. And then he got, he got to where he was pulling the stomach apart. Now, if you get queasy, maybe just take a little break for a second, but I'm going to explain to you. When he got into the stomach, what he had to do in order to cut, you just can't cut an organ. So he actually had to cauterize the different blood vessels. And he had this little tool that looked like a welder, like, like a little fire, like a butane torch. And he would actually deaden. That's what you do, cauterize the, the blood vessels so that they don't sport blood when you, when you cut open the organ. 
And so it's just this I mean, really cool process. And he gets all done and he takes the portion of the stomach out and he sets it in the little base and he goes, you want to touch it? And we all had gloves on. We were all garbed up. But I'm thinking, touch the stomach? Uh, I, don't, I don't know. But he starts pushing at it and it's squishy. I thought, well, this is pretty interesting. So before you know it, I'm squishing the stomach. I'm touching the stomach. I mean, it was super cool. And then I realized it looks like a banana. How could anyone believe that this is the process? But no kidding. He finishes up with the stomach. He stitches this guy up and off he goes. And he goes, okay, come on, next bay. We got to go to another one. We had like six surgeries that day, back to back. It was such a cool experience. But I'll tell you what we learned because we were curious. We learned exactly what that stomach looked like. And we said, if you didn't see it, it would be so hard to believe the simplicity of this process. And so what we ended up doing as the marketers in this case, we said, oh, if we could only create a simple way for people to see this process, because not everybody can come into the surgical suite. And if you're uncomfortable with this process, then how could we make it more comfortable for you? And so we ended up creating this telescoping stomach brochure. I mean, it was the coolest thing we've ever created. These things were $100 a piece to print. In the printing world, like, that's quite a bit. And so this, we took a stomach. So we had, if you can imagine, this brochure that looked like a stomach. It was die cut, which means it was shaped like a stomach. And part of the, the brochure, you could actually pull out and it became this telescoping stomach. And on the parts where you pulled out, so there were all this rooms for information. We actually had copy on there. And so a physician could take this brochure and actually show to a patient how the stomach worked, how this surgery happened. And because they had something so simple like that, then we were able to actually bring in more people to this bariatric surgeon's office. So we made it easier for the physician to have the conversation. And then the surgery, the, the, more people had surgery. That was the ultimate goal. And it ended up what happened. And the physicians credited the simplicity of this marketing tool. That marketing tool never would have existed had we not been curious, had we not gone into the surgical suite, watched the surgery, and come up with that idea. So I truly believe that curiosity is at the core of our biggest, our number one skill set. And it is the thing that we get to value the most in all of the skill sets that we have. And this is the thing that in the workplace and at home, I mean, everywhere in your life, but especially in the workplace, we get to value that skill as the gem that it is. We get to value that skill as the gem that it is. Curiosity is one of the most important skills you can ever have. And the beauty is it doesn't cost you anything. It really doesn't. It's just about you being open to new pathways, open to seeing things differently. Are you? It's a question I'm going to leave with you right now. Are you open to seeing things in a different way? We're going to go on a quick break. And when we get back, we'll pick up there. You're listening to Kathleen Reeson's show, Pushing the Boundaries of Leadership, here on Inspired Choices Network. Talk to you right after this. Are you enjoying the conversations on The Kathleen Reeson Show? Kathleen speaks both in person and virtually at companies, conferences, and retreats all over the world. Learn about booking Kathleen Reeson for your next event at KathleenReeson.com. That's KathleenReeson.com. How wonderful would it be to carry your favorite Inspired Choices Network host with you throughout your day? Well, now you can. Inspired Choices Network now has its very own mobile app. 
Our free app offers live streaming shows along with thousands of podcasts and TV episodes. Our shows cover a wide variety of topics. Whether you're waking up with us, carrying us through the day, and taking us to bed with you, we're always here for you to enjoy. We're easy to find. Just search for Inspired Choices Network in the Apple App Store or Google Play Store. Welcome back to The Kathleen Reeson Show, pushing the boundaries of leadership. To participate in the program, join our live studio audience in our chat room at InspiredChoicesNetwork.com. Now, back to the program. Welcome back to The Kathleen Reeson Show, pushing the boundaries of leadership here on Inspired Choices Network. And today we've been talking all about curiosity in the workplace. The question that I meant that I left you with right before this break was about, are you open to curiosity? And so hopefully you have an answer for that. And my guess, if you're still listening, is that that's a yes. And so the question that I have for you now is, what's really in the way? Because what we what we determined after the last break was that what's in the way truly is judgment. That's what comes up the most. And so one of the questions that I'm going to I'm going to give you right now is how judgment can sound. Judgment often comes across in questions that start with the word why. Why are you doing it that way? Why are things this way? Why is the sky blue? Why is rooted in judgment? Because at the core, it's saying, I wouldn't do it that way, but why would you? And then when I first learned this, I thought, no way. I, I use why all the time. But then when I really started to understand it and I listened to the responses I was getting when I used why-based questions, I realized, oh, it does put people on guard. It does make them think, she wouldn't do it this way. Did I do it wrong? And so it's putting them not at ease. It's a space of judgment from my part, but I didn't realize that. So when I realized that I, I have stopped using why questions, I still use them sometimes, but not as much. So what do you ask instead? There's some other questions like, how did you come to that conclusion? Tell me more about what you're up to. These tell me more, how did you come up with that? Interesting. That's a word I use a lot. I used to say, hmm. But the hmm, again, is rooted in judgment. Hmm. So interesting that a simple word can be rooted in judgment like that. But we want to go to neutral conversations. So when we're in curiosity, the goal is neutral conversations. Because the whoever we're interacting with, we don't want to put them on alert. So we get to be neutral. Okay, tell me more about that. That's a, I really don't know. I want to learn more. In a parent-child relationship, this can be tricky because oftentimes as a parent, we want to have some kind of authority over our child. But what I can tell you is that authority and curiosity aren't the same thing. They actually don't have anything to do with each other. Authority and curiosity are very different. I can have authority over my children, meaning I can be the parent. So in the parent-child hierarchy, I am the parent. So I have the authority. We were at the pool yesterday, and when I said, do not run on the cement, yes, I, ha I have lived longer than them. I have seen the consequences of running on the cement. Now, when they say, but why, mom? Again, they're judgment-based questions. And I say, well, tell me more about what you believe is going to happen if you run on the cement. 
that's not really a judgment space. Tell me more about. I'm really wanting to be curious about what they think is going to happen. One of my children yesterday, I said, I said, this is the golden rule at the pool, probably like most of you may have, who knows. But I said, stay with your brother. So we use the buddy system at the pool. I said, stay with your brother. Well, not 10 minutes into a pool experience, one of my kids comes over to me and says, his brother ditched him. He couldn't find him anywhere. So we look, we spent 10 minutes looking for this other brother, couldn't find him. Now I figured he was still in the pool area. My kids are old enough that I don't worry about them necessarily walking off on their own, but this one had just disappeared into never, never land. Well, we finally found him. He was just swimming on his own and he completely missed the swim with your buddy rule. Now he had to sit out, he had paid a consequence. But what I said was, tell me more about your decision to leave the pool. Because my kids aren't bad kids. They don't want to break the rules. That's not their goal. Just something in his mind didn't hear it. And what that told me was there was something in how I said, stay with your brother. that didn't land with him. He didn't hear it. But I don't know what it is because I don't understand how his brain works. I get brains in general. We talked about it at the beginning of the show. But obviously something's not connected yet in his brain that he, he didn't hear it. And so I'm asking myself, how could I say this differently so that he can hear it? I can just assume that how I'm saying it is going to land, but based on evidence, that's not the case. It didn't work. And so if I say, why didn't you hear it? He doesn't know why he didn't hear it. He actually has no answer to that question. But if I say, tell me more about, or I dig in and get curious I may be able to understand where the gap was. Maybe he just wasn't listening. Maybe his eyes weren't focused on me when I said it. Maybe he was daydreaming. If that's the case, maybe I could say, raise your hand if you could hear me. Have you ever been in a class with, uh, especially in the, the elementary schools, like kindergarten, first, second grade, and you've heard the teacher say, raise your hand if you can hear me or clap your hands if you can hear me. What they're doing is drawing in all the kids' attention. It's not because they really want to know if the kids can raise their hand or the kids can clap their hands. I'm sure these kindergarten teachers do not care. What they want to do is say, I'm going to give you some instructions and I want to make sure you can hear me. Multi-step instructions is an executive functioning form. It's up in the frontal lobe. But you don't develop that connection until later in life. That is something that between zero and five, they're working on making those connections. But I'll tell you what, with a nine, 11 and 13 year old, this summer, our goal is empowerment. We are actually giving, my, my husband and I are focused intently on giving our children multi-step directions to follow. It's not because they're dumb, actually they're brilliant kids. It's because that connection between their downstairs brain and their upstairs brain, we get to just really work on that. We get to practice that. So we said before we went to the pool, here are the three things that you get to do. You get to fill your water bottles. You get to put your swim trunks on. You get to put suntan lotion on. Fill your water bottles. Put your suntan. Or, see, even when I repeated it, I flipped it around. Isn't that funny? So fill your water bottles. Put your swim trunks on. Put your suntan lotion on. Those three things. Now, here's the interesting part. My nine-year-old, what did he do first? 
he went and got his water bottle filled. And he said, you told that order, that's what I followed. My 11 and my 13 year old, they first went to step two. They went and put their sunscreen on. Now they got their water bottles filled, but they did not do it in the order to which we stated it. Now there's nothing wrong because everything got done. But what makes one person follow a specific order and another person change the order? I don't know the answer to that, but what I'll tell you is judging it or guessing on it isn't gonna get to the answer, but being curious and asking, tell me more, may get me there. Tell me more about what you heard. That would be a good question for my kids to think, oh, okay, what did I hear? What I notice about, about kids, especially as they're learning this, if you give them multi-step instructions, they often hear the first instruction, but lose the rest of the instructions. So they do the first step, but then they come back and say, what was the second? What else was there? And so we give little pieces of information. Now, we could just train and say, well, if they can only do one task at, at once, we'll give them one task and then they'll come back and we'll give them another one, which is fine, but it's not developing their executive functioning. So all of this stuff that I'm sharing with you is, learn, is stuff that I've learned from curiosity. And the whole point of it is that when you get curious, when you ask questions like how or tell me more, there's a lot you can learn. Because every single day that I'm alive, I realize that there's way more that I don't know than that I do know. There is way more that I don't know than I do know. And I would be willing to bet that's true for you. Because there's a lot of stuff in this world that we just don't know about. Tons of stuff. But what it takes is somebody that's open to learning. Be a beginner. Have a beginner's mindset a white belt mentality because it will set you up for success. Nobody wants to work with the person that knows it all. That's not fun. And it's really not supportive to anybody. <clears throat> Somebody that has all of the answers really has none of the answers. Have you ever heard that before? Somebody that has all the answers really has none of the answers because no one could possibly know everything about everything. Me, I know a little about a lot. A little about a lot, which means that's how we set. I'm highly curious, so I go in and learn a little bit about a lot. But what that makes me really good at is knowing the people to call forward when somebody has a challenge in those areas. I know who to go to. Perhaps you know a lot about a little. And that's okay, too. Because when somebody wants to know more information about what you know a lot about, you're the one I'm going to call. But if you know a lot about a little, your job is to find the people that know a lot about a little bit. Those are what we call our specialists. So see how this works? Everybody has a gift, but we get to understand and be curious what it is so that we can support everybody else. It's a really cool process. But what stops us is we get up into our frontal lobe. We get into reality and we say, ah, that's not how things work. We know better. But that doesn't get us anywhere, especially in the professional workplace. I think about my friend that was a surgeon that had his hands in the stomach, who's a bariatric surgeon. Now, he knows a lot about a little. Let me tell you what, this guy is a brilliant surgeon. He's not just a great bariatric surgeon. 
He's the person that if I had my appendix rupture, he's the one I would want with his hands in there. He's really great in that chest cavity or the, the lower that stomach cavity. Does really well in that section. But if I break a leg, am I going to call him? No. If I'm having feet issues, am I going to call him? No. And if I have a brain tumor, is he the one I'm calling? No. I mean, maybe if he's got a friend and he will be able to recommend me, maybe then I'll call him. But think about that from an area of specialty. You can be somebody who knows a lot about a little or somebody who knows a little about a lot. But either way, no matter which it is, you get to be curious and open to the other party. Because I don't want the person who's really, really great about working on my stomach also working on my brain. Two totally different organs. I want the person that studied the brain and has done multiple operations. That's the person I want if I have to work on my brain. So hear that. Curiosity is just being open and it's knowing when to pull the players that make the most sense. It's saying, I don't know what I don't know, but I'm willing to learn it. That's curiosity. Okay, we're going to go on a quick break. And when we get back, we're going to wrap all of this up. Curiosity is the number one skill. And we will wrap up how you can increase your curiosity when we get back from this break. You're listening to The Kathleen Reeson Show, Pushing the Boundaries of Leadership. Talk to you in just a second. Are you enjoying the conversations on The Kathleen Reeson Show? Kathleen speaks both in person and virtually at companies, conferences, and retreats all over the world. Learn about booking Kathleen Reeson for your next event at KathleenReeson.com. That's KathleenReeson.com. Welcome back to The Kathleen Reeson Show, pushing the boundaries of leadership. To participate in the program, join our live studio audience in our chat room at InspiredChoicesNetwork.com. Now, back to the program. Welcome back to The Kathleen Reeson Show, pushing the boundaries of leadership here on Inspired Choices Network. I'm your host, Kathleen Reeson, and we've been talking all today about how to be curious in the workplace, so curiosity in the workplace. I'm going to give you an example of my afternoon. I am headed to a meeting with some lawyers here shortly. I am not in any trouble, that's the good news, and I'm going actually with my client. And the reason that we're going is because there were some questions about legality in, in their business and how they worked with other people. Now, I don't know how this is going to end. I do not know the impact it's going to create for my client. But what I do know is that right now there's a lot of emotion going around. And while emotion is wonderful, <laughs> it's okay to have emotion. There's nothing wrong with emotion. We can't make decisions from emotions. That's exactly when we get curious about the brain. What we understand is that emotional epicenter, decisions, logic, rational, it doesn't live there. It lives in that frontal cortex that we talked about. And so you've got to be able to walk up and down the, the ladder between them to say, okay, so I get that the emotions are here, but we get to make these decisions from logic. So let's climb back up that ladder. And so my job in this meeting is to be curious about what is really driving the emotions. Why are these here? Peel back and understand how it's causing an impact. Because when I can understand that, then we can climb up that ladder and we can say, from logic, how do we solve this? So that is my next, that, that's what I'll spend the better part of today focusing on. And the best part about that is 
the number one skill that they're asking me to bring to the table here is curiosity. So again, I get paid to be curious and I actually believe that you do too. In a lot of the higher level thinking jobs, executive functioning jobs, we get paid to be curious. So pretty cool because curiosity is absolutely a skill set and know that it's one of your most valuable skill sets that you have. Now, next week, we're going to talk all about motivating your team while also holding them accountable. Gosh, if that's not about curiosity, I don't know what is. <laughs> so motivating your team while also holding them accountable. We get to be curious about what motivates your team. How can we motivate them? How can we get them to create a higher level of performance while also holding them accountable? One of the biggest things that I see in accountability is that we don't hold a by when. And when I say by when, I mean a very specific time and date in which something will be complete. We let ourselves just have an ambiguous time. So yes, I'll get that done. Oh, but when? I don't know. That doesn't work. Instead, we get to be curious about how long something might take. We get to be curious about what's involved and we get to set timeframes based on that. I'm working on my book as I shared with you and I've set very specific and aggressive timeframes for all of this. My first book took me roughly two years to complete. That's right, two years. It was a long time. A year ago, my husband said, hey, what, what if you worked on your second book? And my husband's also my business partner and he's involved in, in a lot of the work that I do every day. And he says, how about your second book? When are you gonna create that? Well, I hemmed it hot and said, I, I don't know, I'll get to it. But it wasn't a priority until I went to a mastermind in Vegas three weeks ago, about a little over three weeks at this point. While I was on the flight home from Vegas, guess what? I wrote the entire book. I, well, 40% of it. I hand wrote it because I didn't have my computer with me. So I hand wrote this book. My hand didn't cramp as much as I thought it was going to. When I got home the next day, I wrote another 30%. And then two days later, I finished the other 30%. So 100% of rough draft one was complete. That took me all in all about four days. And then I spent a week really understanding the structure of the book and realizing that there was actually a part one that I got to develop. What I'd developed up until then was part two. So I got to develop a part one. And I spent the last week writing part one. And now here I am three weeks later and I have the finished draft of part one and part two and the conclusion, which is pretty cool. But I tell you all of this because I've set incredibly aggressive timelines to make this happen. Now here is a year ago, my husband asked me, you should write a book, the second book. And now I've completed it in three weeks. What happened in the other 49 weeks between when he said, hey, when are you gonna write your second book? And when I actually kicked it into gear? Well, one was we set actually aggressive timelines and held them once I got going. So what motivated me, I went to this Vegas mastermind and that really opened up the space for me to move forward. And then holding them accountable, I got to set very clear by when dates. So that worked, that worked. And it's really important that we understand how to do that for others, for ourselves, and for others. That's what we're talking about next week, but we'll tie in what we talked about today about being curious with that because these two go hand in hand. When we're talking about motivating others, we've got to be curious because what we think motivates us or what we think motivates others is not necessarily what actually motivates others. They can be demotivating. And unless we're curious, we'll never figure that out. 
So next week, we'll talk about some tools and how to figure out how to motivate others and hold them accountable, even when they might not like it. So we've got tons on that show, but every Monday we come with lots of shows. We booked up the entire summer of shows. There's tons. I'm very excited about what we're going to talk about. We've got some guests coming on. It's going to be a really great lineup. So stay tuned. If there's ever anything that you want to hear about, let me know. I, I am a business advisor. This is what I do every single day. I love doing this myself and my team. This is how we operate. If you have other questions about your questions about anything that you've heard on the show, this one or other ones, and you want to know deeper about how to implement this in your company, just reach out. My email is Kathleen at KathleenReason.com. Or if you have ideas on other topics or people you would like to see on the show, reach out and let me know. We'd love to hear from you. Again, my email is Kathleen at KathleenReason.com. So curiosity in the workplace. My number one tip for you is to let yourself play in that lower brain, that emotional epicenter, play and be curious. Let your mind wander. Don't let judgment come in. Just let your mind go wherever it's going to go. Be open to new possibilities and know that when you stand in your curiosity and you say, tell me more about that. Well, how'd you come up with that? When you leave the judgment behind, that's when you can create deep connections with people and you can really be curious about our environment, about the people around you and the relationships, and you can learn a ton. Every single day, I pick up some bit of information that then I carry forward and I say, oh, you'll never believe it. I was in this random conversation and this came up. And that is a tip of how I have created the success that I have. And I know that when you're curious, you will create the success that you want. But think of, think of curiosity as a skill set, just like accounting and advertising and sales and IT. Those are all skill sets. So is curiosity. Now, it's not something that we have a major for at the universities, but we could. Wow, wouldn't that be cool? I, could, I would totally love that program. But instead, we get to utilize the other skill sets that we are aware of that are labeled that way, and we get to be curious with those. So be open. Don't let judgment get in the way. Think about what you can learn. Do you know a lot about a little or a little about a lot? A lot about a little or a little about a lot, which describes you. Neither is wrong. Both are cool places to come from. It's just being aware. So be curious. Go ask information that maybe you didn't know today. Thank you for listening. You have a wonderful day. This is the Kathleen Reeson Show signing off. Bye. Thank you for listening to The Kathleen Reeson Show, pushing the boundaries of leadership. Kathleen Reeson will return next Monday at 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, 10 a.m. Central, 9 a.m. Mountain, and 8 a.m. Pacific on InspiredChoicesNetwork.com. Have a great week.